Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello once again and welcome to this latest edition of Rainer Hirsch's Proms in the Pub, my twice-weekly and quite cheeky podcast about the BBC Proms held at the Albert Hall. We hope you're enjoying the series and ask you to kindly subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Also, send us any feedback, which you can do via www.promsinthepub.co.uk. You wouldn't believe how happy we are to hear from you. Thanks also for fighting your way through the adverts, which crop up when listening to this podcast, most particularly as soon as you press go. As I've been at pains to point out on previous editions, Proms in the Pub is neither commissioned nor sanctioned by the BBC. In fact, we're nothing to do with anyone, which is another way of saying that no one is paying us to lovingly handcraft these transmissions. Then why bother, say our friends and partners? Good point, we say. We can't even quote the famous words of mountaineer George Mallory, who, when questioned by a reporter why he wanted to climb Everest, replied, because it's there. As well, our particular Everest wasn't there. We're just doing this. Uh, because. Incidentally, Mallory and his producer, uh, sorry, climbing partner, Sandy Irving, basically disappear without trace halfway up or halfway down the mountain, no one is quite sure, and we have every reason to expect the same will happen to our podcast, but we still don't care. All that is by way of saying, please bear with us and our advertisements. We need and are grateful for our advertisers' support and encourage you to go out and do whatever it is they want you to do, because if they're happy, we're happy. Yes, here endeth the first lesson. Now, one thing the proms is, is not always stuff you know. Mixed in there are pieces which have been written in the recent past, some of which are receiving their very, very first performance. Now, please don't turn off at the thought of a load of jingle-jangle nonsense that you don't quite get. Take a moment to open your ears to something which can end up being the most fun part of the concert. Music which hasn't been through the mangle, years of pontificating experts, but which is presented raw and direct to you. Granted, you probably won't leave whistling the tunes, but as we all know with classical music, that takes time and repeating in any case. But you might be left with an overall pleasing impression, and that is a start. A few of the pieces we've had so far in this season, Sunny Beamish's Hive, a four-movement piece based on a year in the life of bees, Hilda Gudnodotter's The Fact of the Matter. Hilda Gudnodotter, I practiced that by the way, is the woman behind some of the most acclaimed film and gaming music of the recent past. She wrote, for example, the soundtrack to the Batman prequel, Joker, and the video game score for Battlefield 2042. Yes, I can't stop playing it. Probably like you, when I was growing up, gaming music was just the beep and 
boop you got when your paddle came into contact with the ball in Pong, but things have moved on. Then on the 28th of July, Jennifer Walsh's The Site of an Investigation, which involved wrapping objects in Amazon packaging, a stuffed giraffe, and a big pyramid of plastic cups being knocked over. Said it could be fun. You can't help smiling even at the description in the programme. The site of an investigation ranges wildly over our contemporary predicament, taking in microplastics, Facebook likes, grief, precarity, that's the state of being precarious by the way, interplanetary colonisation, artificial intelligence and loss. <laughs> so not much then. You can hear all this stuff wherever you are in the world by finding BBC sounds and guiding your way to Radio 3. All the concerts are available on demand there until October the 10th. But what's it like writing a piece for the proms? The last night even. Hearing something you've quietly jotted down in your music room brought to life in front of all those thousands, nay, hundreds of thousands listening at home. What's it like sitting in the hall and enduring the grumpy reactions of people wishing your sonic exploration of everything could just be over so they could get back to the symphony they know they like? We need a tame composer, don't we? One who's been there and done that and got the scars to prove it. Enter the charming, the erudite and the infinitely good Roxana Pumflick. Let me go back to the beginning, if okay. you will, because... Doctor. Do, thank you very much. Please tell me about your child. No, <laughs> Roxana, you, your name suggests it. Your lot, they're not from around here, are they? No, no. And I thought I was just half Polish and half English. But not long ago, I did one of those ancestral DNA tests. And I've discovered that I'm 14 point something percent Iberian. Wow. And 1% Egyptian. Fantastic. So I'm so excited because I've got all these different nationalities in me. And I think it kind of explains why I'm such a musical nomad. Yeah. Um, but my, you know, I, I think I am quite Polish mostly. Your dad, he come from Poland in 1954? Exactly. Had a very dramatic escape yep. from KGB agents whilst on the conducting tour in Zurich. Wow. And arrived here with absolutely nothing in right. 1954, um, except a soon-to-be ex-wife. Right. Because, funny enough, I, I'm sounding like a sort of colonel... You know, I knew your father. Did strangely. you? Wow, how but, come? Well, uh, I, he wasn't exactly, you know, somebody would come round to my house for tea, but I was involved with Richmond Concert Society and that he was mm. president of Richmond Concert Society for a thousand years. Wow. And I also knew your uncle, Toby oh, Jessel. Oh, who I miss so much. Yeah, your, your, your mum's brother. Oh. Yeah, he was a great guy. Uh, and I knew him very well, actually. Oh. And, um, you know... Um, your, you, I think, is it true to say you've become more Polish since your dad died? Is that a thing, do you think? Well, I'd be really interested to know why you asked that, and then I'll tell you. Well, I'll ask it because our um, stories are not entirely dissimilar, he says, Rainer Wolfgang Hirsch. My dad, 
obviously didn't have, you know, didn't escape from the KGB in Zurich, but he did escape the Nazis yeah. in 1939. He wasn't Jewish, but his father was. Right. And um, his father's brother ended up in Auschwitz. So there was good reason. Um, yeah. And there's that to it. Yeah. And yeah. I am imposing my story slightly on you. But I also noticed that, for example, there was in 2016 a referendum in this country. There was. And very swiftly I got my Polish citizenship, which actually I've always wanted. But it, it sort of propelled me into doing it a bit more quickly and so I'm very proud now to have dual nationality. Yeah. I'm also very ashamed um, to say that I've been trying to learn Polish for 30 years now and I still can't speak it because it's the most difficult language ever. Um, but I will keep trying. Well, no, hang on a second. You, are, you do yourself a disservice because there's so... You've written, you know commemorative pieces for Poland, you work with Polish artists, the whole thing. So, uh, uh, you know, clearly you're better than you, you know, well, you give yourself trying. credit for. Well, I'm trying. I'm trying. I understand a lot more than I can speak. Yeah. It's the grammar that really lets me down. Yeah. So, well, that's the way of it, isn't it? But I'm sure they, you know, they're pleased for anything. And of course, uh, so can I, can, I know you don't like to talk about politics, but you, the okay. referendum and the, the 2017, could they in any way be related, your nationality and all that? Oh, absolutely, mm. absolutely. And um, it was just one of those things that I've been wanting to do all my adult life. But it's it just when Brexit happens, I was so appalled and, and ashamed and um, depressed about it um, and desperately wanted to cling on to, to Europe and being European, that that was... That was what I did. It just propelled me into getting my citizenship. And I was very lucky I got it very quickly. This is of no relevance, but you're Catholic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you are, because much of your music is celebrates or, or Catholic, or, or sorry, celebrates Christian vo vocal music, at least yeah. in your early stages. That's yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I would say about 70% of what I do is, is Christian liturgical music, but... Very excitingly, I've just written my first Jewish liturgical piece for the Liberal Jewish Synagogue. And um, I'd love to work in other faiths as well, so we'll see. Um, composer. Yes. Pretty odd job, isn't it? It's very strange. And when I was in my teens, if you'd asked me what I wanted to do, I wanted to be an ambulance driver. Yeah, where did it all go wrong? I don't know. It's still at the back of my mind. And there are still days when I'm sort of looking at a blank piece of manuscript paper and nothing's happening, where I'm thinking, right, am I too old to start as an ambulance driver? At what point did people stop asking you, um, and what do you really do? Oh, <laughs> do you know, they, they don't. They've ne they never have. However, um, they've often been very surprised, particularly at concerts, when they've seen that I was the contemporary composer in the program because they were expecting someone older and greyer and possibly maler and <laughs> um, and it's really funny because um, you know quite often I sit in audiences as an incognito composer and you hear all sorts of fantastic comments like oh, why do they always have to put a modern piece of music in the program 
the classic one was when I was in my early 20s and it was Hampton Court Society and um, and I had this new piece I was really nervous it was my first proper professional commission and just as my piece was about to start someone said behind me oh no it's Roxana Panufnik not Andrzej Panufnik <laughs> <laughs> so I had a lovely time when I got out to go and take my bow at the end and then I came back to my seat and I smiled angelically at them. Now, Andrew, we've got to say that, Andrew, Prunoflik was your dad. Mm. We didn't mention that. And he was the one that escaped the KGB. He did. And he was a composer, of course, and a conductor. Conducted the CBSO, City of Birmingham Symphony Orchestra, for a couple of years. So a very noted, you know, musician in his yeah. day and had, you know, a celebrated, well wartime duet with Vitor Lutislavsky and other people. He sure did, yeah. That reaction to the new, the contemporary com composer, the contemporary composition, you have written, well, you've had two pieces performed at the proms. The second one's a commission, have I got that right? Which is the, yes. for the last night. Yes. The first one doesn't seem so auspicious now in our current setting, which, which was a piece called Three Paths to Peace, uh, very laudable, and it was performed uh, by the World Orchestra for Peace, conducted by Valery, Valery Gergiev, not known at this, moment, this current moment for, you know, those predispositions. He's more famous for his relationship to Vladimir Putin and the fact that his career has kind of fallen apart, basically yeah. because he, he won't renounce, or, well, his friendship yes. with Putin is very prominent. He's been... Yes. He's been booted out of his position in Munich and places like that. So um, how do you feel about that now when you think about that? Well, wanting to believe the best in people, I wonder if Putin has something over him. I mean, who would ally themselves willingly with Putin, especially at the moment? But it's interesting because that first prom that I had with the World Orchestra for Peace and him... Um, was incredibly exciting. It was in 2014, and it was actually, there was a huge amount going on about my dad at that time. It was his centenary. Um, but we'd done this piece with the World Orchestra for Peace in Jerusalem, appropriately, because it was um, based on the story of Abraham in the Bible being asked by God to sacrifice his son Isaac as a test of his faith, which appears in all three Abrahamic monotheistic faiths and so I created a sort of music analogy for this and um, used elements from chant um, from each of the faiths um, to you know create this this very programmatic piece and it was originally a violin concerto called Abraham um, and when World Orchestra for Peace asked for an overture and I didn't have time to write one I said would you mind if I I reworked this for you into an overture and they were delighted because they were going to perform in Jerusalem. So it was very appropriate and actually it was the most incredible trip. That was in 2008 and I was so thrilled and excited it was going to be done at the proms. And um, and it was it was the most wonderful experience and there is nothing like a proms audience and um, walking out on that stage. And um, it's so exciting and such a privilege. It was also a little bit strange because in 2014, 
Gergiev was already in trouble for allying himself with Putin about Putin's, I think it was Putin's invasion of Crimea. So there was a lot of bad stuff going around in the press and on social media about, Put about Gergiev. And they actually had to implement some quite strict security arrangements for the prom. So there were two um, beefy minders on either side of the stage and a sort of cordon across the stage so people couldn't get up onto it. And because of that, when it came to me going to take my bow, I couldn't just sort of come down onto the stage and do it. I had to be taken out by somebody from the BBC and walk all around the back of it. And I was really worried about this because I was absolutely convinced that people anyway would have had enough of applauding by the time I got to the, the stage. Um, and I, I voiced my concerns and they said, no, 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 no it'll be fine. And I said, well, you are going to tell the maestro, aren't you? And they said, oh, yes, 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 he'll know, he'll know. So anyway, the time comes. Very exciting, fabulous performance by World Orchestra for Peace and Gergiev. And then it takes me a good three or four minutes to get round to the back and underneath into the side of the stage from where the dressing rooms are. And there's Gergiev waiting in the wings. Where were you? I was looking for you everywhere and showed me out like in a really grumpy way and then suddenly it was so funny because then as soon as he walked on stage who's all smiles well he doesn't really smile does he but he's, he's sort of you know looking a bit happier than he usually does um but it was just it was slightly bizarre um experience because of that whole kind of security issue and and he obviously wasn't best pleased with me but um I still loved it. I thought you were going to end up the story by saying that I had to take the applause for Tchaikovsky for Symphony <laughs> at the end of the programme. <laughs> no, but I mean, that kind of speaks of the... I mean, it's like there's a huge machine, all these cogs are whirring away, and you were right to ask, you know, have you told the maestro? Because, well, you know, there's only one way to tell the maestro is probably to tell the maestro yourself. Were you mm. there for the rehearsal? I was, yeah. yes, I was. And, and that's when... And it was at the end of that rehearsal, just as I was leaving, that they told me the arrangements for taking my bow. So I didn't really have a chance to talk to him about it. Mm. Presumably. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. 
For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Well, let's just ask this question. What's it like when you hear... Was that the first time you'd ever heard that played live, that music? Played? No, it'd been done at, um, in Jerusalem, which was incredible, because the piece starts with um, a, a sort of quasi-call um, to prayer. Um, I didn't obviously use a real one, a real Muslim call to prayer, because obviously that would have been offensive. I consulted a, a Sunni imam and a Shia imam, and it was decided in the end that I should... Um, they suggested that I listen to, to lots of calls to prayer and create one of my own, which I did. So anyway, the piece starts with that. And then over that comes some Christian church bells sounding. And on the afternoon of the concert in Jerusalem, um, me and some of the people in the orchestra went and stood on the top of Mount of Olives. I mean, it is incredible to be there because you've been brought out all your life hearing about this place and it's in the Bible and you've been picturing in your head and it's just extraordinary to be there. And we heard a call to prayer and then some Christian church bells ringing. It was absolutely incredible. It was such an experience. So it was it was very exciting and, and in Jerusalem, um, we couldn't have had a more sort of mixed faith audience. Um, I mean, there were all sorts of people there. There were Orthodox priests and um, and some nuns, and you know, there was people of all faiths and none there. It was incredible. Um, did you see that I did all fa all faiths and none? I like that. Yeah. I'm going to use that yeah. if it's okay. going rough. Yeah, any okay. gig. <laughs> If you're desperate. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose what I was getting at with that question about hearing the move, music actually performed, so that ha that happens at some point. Yeah. It happened in Jerusalem, maybe, or it happened in the Palms. What's that like? You know, you've been working on this thing. Can I ask, do you use, like, um, do you write on manuscript paper? Do you use the computer? So I use this lovely piano here, this right. baby Bechstein that my father used to compose on. And um, and I usually sort of sketch out, um, I usually do harmonies first. Harmonies are my main and most important thing. I create a harmonic um, progression and then build other things over and underneath it. Um, and then I start putting it onto music notation software quite quickly um, because I have this bizarre thing. I have this kind of rhythmic dyslexia where... I can hear rhythm, I can appreciate it, and I can think it, but I can't do it. So I can never conduct. I can't for the life of me dance. 
um, and I can't play anything in time either. So I really need that software to play back what I think I've written to make sure it's right. So that's very important. But um, I always hear it in my head first. So there's a lovely point at, at a rehearsal when you're first hearing it. And, and you go, yes, that's what I was originally thinking, because it does get supplanted by the software, which is it's horrible. But the other thing that's really bizarre is when you have um, a, a new piece being played for the first time, it's like they're reading your mind. Ooh. It's really spooky, um, because you've had this music in your head, and suddenly everybody else is doing it it's like and it's also your innermost emotions and feelings so you feel quite vulnerable yeah. well i do anyway yeah. um and it's yeah it's it's bizarre it takes a certain amount of courage i think so i also need to elaborate you know what music software people have never used it or you know aren't involved in writing dots down for people to play, you might not appreciate it. It's like a, it's like a word processor, but for yes, music, essentially. Exactly. You see that. a score. There are no, the lines that everybody's used to. You can actually place the dots in the lines, yep. and it's very clever. It can make sure you don't mistakes, like put too many notes in any given bar, and then you kind of press a button, and it kind of plays it back to you. How, yes. And in in a sort of better these days it's really quite good you know but uh, you can it's kind of hear it in bad. advance yeah. yes you can you can it's not bad before i got i started using this kind of software in about 1995 mm. and before is then, it sebelius yes it is yeah and i um i wasn't sure whether i was allowed to mention uh, listen we don't care it is <laughs> i use sebelius too <laughs> actually but they were the first kind of ones and I, I used it from then about as well and then they went of course now now you have to rent the sodding thing so i can say sodding thing as well yeah okay great we don't care what we say <laughs> Steady. so yes no it's, it's amazing so in the days before music notation software it would take me a whole afternoon to write like one page of this orchestral mm. opera score yeah because you're aligning every simultaneous note on anything up to sort of 30, 40 staves. Um, and it just it took forever, forever. And I used to get terrible pain in my hand from it. It was awful. Now, like on Sibelius, it, it takes, well, almost like, I don't know, 5% of the time it would take. Okay, but so you, nevertheless, there is a difference between that and, and, and this kind of experience. And it, 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 yeah, that's interesting. You know, you hear this thing brought to life in 3D with real breathing musicians, except for the violas, doing it for you. <laughs> Especially the violas, I would say. <laughs> it is an extraordinary experience. And I often catch myself sitting in a concert if there's a big sort of choir and a big orchestra there and I sort of suddenly I'm kind of 10 years old again thinking gosh this is so grown up <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's 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 brilliant I love it I love it So that was stage 1 now the second thing that happened was in 2018 Yes Songs of Darkness Dreams of Light Yes and that was a BBC commission. It was indeed for the last night of the proms and um, I can't tell you how exciting it was and how agonising it was to have to keep it secret for so long because you find out about it sort of 18 months before it's due to happen but you're not allowed to tell anybody otherwise you have to kill them <laughs> and 
messy. Um, it's very messy. It's a lot, very it? messy. And then, and you have to wait for the sort of proms announcement, sort of three months before they start. So that that was very exciting, and I'm very proud of myself that I um, I didn't tell anybody. Okay, I told my husband. <laughs> I told my husband, and my publishers obviously knew, but. Um, but that was incredibly exciting. What a gig. That is the best gig you can get a commission for the last night of the proms. And it was my 50th birthday year. And it was just the icing on the cake. It was so exciting. So you wait 18 months. And um, do they say, I mean, what do they say about it? They just said that they would like a piece, um, which was for the BBC Symphony Orchestra, BBC Singers and BBC... Um, symphony orchestra chorus. Um, that's all but, of them, isn't it? There's no, there's no others. Basically. No, that, there's a whole thing. That's with all the BBC stuff. Yeah. But the the symphony chorus part had to be independent of the BBC singers part, but the, it also needed to work together. And so that was quite a challenge because the chorus obviously is like a hundred over a hundred singers, and the BBC singers is like twenty four. So um, that was interesting, you know, finding a way of balance, balancing that. But of course, obviously, the BBC singers, um, because they're professional, wonderful professional singers, they also um, have a lot of training and a lot, a lot more volume. So um, that was very handy. So I, I created something that had a sort of dialogue between the two choirs. Uh, and it commemorated the end of First World War. That was the centenary yes. of that. So. Yes, it was um, a beautiful poem by um, Isaac Rosenberg. Um, and so it's a piece that had um, a Jewish text, so I, I drew from Jewish chant on that. And, um, and also um, beautiful, um, The Prophet by Gibran, um, Maronite Syriac, um, so... Middle Eastern Christian musical influences and chant, which is just so beautiful. Um, so I mixed that and um, and then brought the sort of Islamic element was um, Sufi structure and Sufi rhythms through to it. So again, I was making this this point about us all believing in the same one God and having all these things in common. Yeah. Um... Without being, I mean, so there's, there's, there's that you have actually got to do this work. It's, it's your job. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to be entirely indiscreet, but I mean, how much how, do I get paid? How do they pay you? How do they how work do they it? Pay? How do they work that out? All right. So it's really easy. It's on a per minute basis. Right. So, um, so there's a certain amount per minute you'd expect to be paid for a chamber piece and it would be a bigger amount if it was an orchestral piece um, or a smaller amount if it might just be, you know, a small a cappella choral piece or a song or something. So there are various rates and then that per minute rate is worked out according to your experience and, and um, yeah, how senior you are. <laughs> well, that's great. I mean, um, I, now, you, your, you, your output is so interesting and varied and, you know, you focused on specific things, as we've talked about. But mm. um, one thing I, 
I was wondering is where you get the names from, where, where they crop up. And before you answer that, I, I've actually got some names of pieces. I want us to play a game. Okay. Which is called I Wrote That. There'll be some sort of sting, musical okay. sting there, but we'll, we'll put that on okay. in post. <laughs> Okay. I'm going to say the names of pieces and you've just got to say I wrote that or I didn't write that. Okay. Or you can say I kind of wrote that. Okay. Uh, so Roxana Punifnik, are you ready to play? I'm ready. I wrote that. Okay, first one. Cats the musical. I wish I had wrote that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> The Crocodile and the Monkey. I did write that. What was that? It was one of my beastly tales. Very good. The Frog and the Nightingale. Yes, that was another beastly tale. I 2002, that. that was. Soprano, Mezzo Soprano, Baritone and Orchestra, that was. Yeah. The Wasp and the Picnic. I so did not write that. <laughs> Down the Rabbit Hole. Yes, that was me. That oh, sorry, you've got to answer in the correct... Sorry, I wrote that. Yes, I, I wrote that, exactly. Otherwise, you don't get the point. The digital stethoscope and the bear. I incorporated that. The, I kind of wrote that. I kind of wrote that. Sorry, I kind of wrote that. Tell us, tell us how you kind of wrote that. OK. So, um, I was writing a piece called Heartfelt for the Sacconi Quartet. And I'd just been reading a book um, about the demise of dancing bears in Bulgaria. And, um, and I really wanted to, to write a musical piece about them. I was so moved by their plight and their rescue. Um, and Heartfelt was about the heart and, and heartbeats. And I, I wondered whether a bear's heartbeat sounded different to human ones. And then I searched and searched everywhere. You would think that you would find a bear's heartbeat somewhere on the internet, YouTube, somewhere. There's some no, loony out there nothing. that's done it, no. Yes, nothing, nothing. Yeah. And um, so I wrote to every zoo and zoological society in the UK and they completely ignored me and obviously thought I was completely crazy. And finally, in desperation, I put a post on Facebook saying, does anybody know any zoo vets? And not only did a cellist friend of mine, Richard May, live next door to Bristol Zoo, he teaches music to the zoo director's children. So he introduced me and within a few days, Zoo Vet rang me and said, you are so in luck because in 10 days time, we're doing a small surgical procedure on a European brown bear, which is exactly the right kind of bear. Um, and you'll appreciate that um, you can only listen to a bear's heartbeat when it's not awake. Yes. And um, and I said, great, great, great. And she said, but unfortunately, I can't invite you into the operating theatre to listen to his heartbeat. So what we need is a digital stethoscope that I can record it on. But we don't have one. So we were sort of ringing around various zoos to see if we could borrow somebody's. No one had one. There. Amazon. Well, Amazon. <laughs> I did look on Amazon and Amazon there wasn't Prime. one. There wasn't one. No, no. <laughs> so anyway, Michelle Zuvet found one somewhere 
and I went 50-50 with Bristol Zoo and I'd like that to be in the Guinness World Book of Records as the most obscure use of a commissioned deposit. Um, <laughs> how much is a digital stethoscope? It was about £380. Hell! And is so, it ever going to be used again? Yes, they are using it all, all the, the time. time. Is it known yes. as the Roxana Punafnik It jolly well should be, shouldn't it? <laughs> All right, um, on with um, I Wrote That. Advert stings for the 2022 Qatar World Cup. I didn't write that. Letter from America. I didn't write that. Letters from Burma 2004. I did write that. I'm afraid that's a loss, that's a point down. Letters from Burma 2004 for oboe and string quartet. Yeah, you did write that. So I that, that. that was what I was trying to. Rimsky-Korsakov's The Flight of the Bumblebee. Think carefully, Roxana. Okay, I kind of wrote that. Yes, is the correct Thank answer. You. So how did you kind of write that? Okay, so a wonderful cellist, Hannah Chang, who's now actually a conductor, um, wanted me to do a sort of wacky arrangement of that for her in chamber orchestra. So um, I did that for her. And it involves a certain amount of acting by the double bass player. That's all I'll say. OK, all right, fine. Yeah, that's always troublesome because, you know, they're usually troubled in the head. <laughs> um, laughing song. Oh, I did write that. Yes. That was one of the early ones, wasn't it? Yeah. Like yeah. way back. Um, yeah, that might be consigned to a bottom drawer somewhere, probably. But anyway, go on. Uh, how deep is your love by the Bee Gees? Think, think, think. How, not how deep is your love, but so strong is his love, 2007. Oh, very good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, been, but I, I wrote that. Yeah, yeah. An opera based on an 18th century harpsichord score arranged and orchestrated for steel band. I kind of wrote that. OK, yes. So there were steel pans in it, but there was also a harpsichord, um, which is an interesting combination, but it worked. It worked. Um, and I just reconstructed this 18th century dialogue opera, as you do for an uh, opera festival in Barbados. So the final question in um, I Wrote That mm. is the contestant arrival music for the second series of Love Island. I didn't write that. You have scored, after that round, full marks, Roxana. Yeah, it's very exciting. Thank you. What's my prize? You won. You win um, appearance on Proms in the Pub. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, well, listen, it has been such a pleasure talking to you. Oh, bless you! It's great to meet you, Roxana Penafleet. Actually, those of you paying attention will have noticed that Roxana didn't, in fact, score full points pints in the inaugural and final edition of I Wrote That. But, well, she's such a lovely person, I didn't have the heart to say. That interview in Southwest London, by the way, also involved producer Julian accidentally, well, that's what he claimed, scooping up Roxana's house keys on the way out, only realising once he had driven almost all the way back home to Brighton, which is roughly an hour and a half with no traffic and about a day and a half if there is, then having to do a complete other round trip to bring them back that evening. Yes, we do need those advertisers. Meanwhile, on Friday the 22nd of July, we had music for royal occasions, including Handel's water music arranged by Hamilton Harty. 
Hearing this and not wanting to be outdone, our regular special guest, Harry the Piano, went to his keyboard to prove, as if we didn't know, that anything Hamilton Hardy could do, he could do better. This is the result, his jazzy water music. And listen out for a bit of Hallelujah Chorus thrown in for good measure. Jacques Lussier, eat your heart out. Until next time, thanks for listening. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.